Hey everybody, my name is Alex and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I want to give a special thanks to everybody who listened to the inaugural episode of Lunchbox Special Edi- of Lunchbox Sunday Edition, which was on last Sunday and was about what I call SPAT, which stands for Single Parents Alone Together from um, the 2002 instant classic, otherwise known as About a Boy. But it, I, it, I actually use the acronym to, to, to mean single people, single people alone together, not parents, because we're, all, we're not all parents. Trust me, I'm not a parent. Um, <laughs> but... And so if you if you like if that was your first experience with me, this will be a much less edited, much more stream of consciousness thing. Um, I will I will and am still doing the Sunday edition episodes, which are much more heavily edited. Take out all the ahs and ums and all the spaces. Although I took notes for this week's episode because I watched the thing that we'll be talking about today, that we'll be talking about in this episode, the day I'm recording the episode, which is on Thursday. <laughs> but, um, just a brief heads up, the next Sunday edition episode will be about something that I think we could all use right now, and that's Iyashke anime. If you're curious about what that is, um, you're gonna have to wait till Sunday, or, you know, use the power of Google to type in to get the spelling of and type in Iyashke, um, so you can see what that word means. But definitely if you need some help relaxing, definitely tune in to the Iyashke episode of Lunchbox Sunday Edition this Sunday. Um, and I hope you really like it. It takes a lot for me to edit out my stupid. <laughs> it's why I don't do it for the for the late Friday night slash for the late Thursday night slash early Friday morning for most people um, episode because I will literally record this and then put it out like it's a, a and I make like two hard cuts and fucking throw it into the ether. Um... <laughs> But, that said, let's get to what we're talking about today, which is a little movie. I don't actually have the year from, the year that it premiered, um, but it is called Lou Over the Wall. They say that the mermaids who dwell on Merfolk Island first appeared in Hinashi Bay long ago. You shouldn't be practicing near the water. I told you, they're attracted to music. What are you? Supposed to be dangerous. It's our secret, okay? Everyone friends! Everyone friends! She's not a threat to anybody. This is the first time I've seen you laugh. <laughs> Mommy! Please go and save her! No! 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 Everyone, we have to evacuate! Start talking before we stop being polite!
Now, I've talked about Misaki Yuasa twice, at least twice, on this podcast. I've talked about his movie, um, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. And more recently, I talked about his movie, oh, it was from the before times, <laughs> um, Ride Your Wave. And if you listen to those reviews, I really liked... I actually like, personally, I like The Night nice Short Walk On Girl better than I like Ride Your Wave for a number of reasons, but mostly because I think that it excels at what Yuasa, as a director and animator, is interested in in a, significant, in a much better way than Ride Your Wave does. Um, long and short of it is, is Ride Your Wave is about, by the way, spoiler alert for both of those things, but you can listen for both of these movies at this point, but you can listen to Zoe's movie, to Zoe's reviews in the podcast feed, so if you want to listen to those first and come back to this one, uh, you can definitely do that. Let's pour myself a drink here, shall we? I'm trying to spill it. Oh, um, but, so... Ride Your Wave is about a relationship, a romantic relationship that ultimately goes ends in tragedy, and how that shapes the main character of that movie. Um, that but um, Night is Short, Walk On Girl becomes about basically a very self-centered female protagonist kind of realizing and opening up to the idea that not only is somebody interested in her, but that she that it wouldn't be a bad thing if she let herself be interested in him, so to speak. Um, but that's, that, that's a very, very broad, like, thing, or broad explanation of both of those movies' plot lines. There's tons of other stuff in all of Yuasa's work, if you watched um, his latest thing, which is Keep Your Hands Off Isoken from last season, which I'm just finishing up um, because stress is a bitch and sometimes you just want to shoot people in the head on Overwatch and like ignore the world. Thank you, reality. Um, but that basically... That's his, that's his newest work, and it's all about animation. And, like, as an, it basically serves as an analogy for, like, the animation industry and, like, specific moments in the animation process. But um, I really like it, and you should... If you're at all interested in animation in general, beyond just anime, I would definitely check it out. But, um... On that note, Lou Over the Wall is about... Lou Over the Wall is definitively different than, his, than all of his other work. And, all of his, and one of the nice things about Misaki Yuasa is his work has the same stylistic flair and a lot of the same... Has a lot of, has a lot of the same visual language, but it all somatically is pretty diverse. So what I mean by that is where, you know, he's making a much more traditional television show in something like Keep Your Hands Off Azoken versus something like The Night Is Short, Walk On Girl or Ride Your Wave. Ride Your Wave is much more a... Romantic drama, nice short walk-on girl is much more romantic comedy, heavy emphasis on the comedy. It's less, it's less, it's less about romance than it is about comedy, and it's, it's more, um, best way to describe The Night is Short is it's got a real, it's got a real mumblecore vibe, if that makes any sense, and if you don't know what mumblecore means, Basically, Mumblecore is the kind of movie that, like, 
nothing happened then. If you've seen the movie Garden State, that's a perfect example of a mumblecore movie. Um, but The Night Show is more of a mumblecore movie. But Little Over the Wall is about overcoming depression and um, how the world can set up around you to make you depressed and keep you there and how uh, the world can depress itself on like a, a across the board and it's about getting yourself up out of that and it stars um a lou a mermaid um the our main character kai a like Quasi love interest ish named Yuho and a um and there's and the third kind of main cast member is um I think his name is Yukito but anyway so Kai is like he is in his feels he is deep in the dumps very depressed and. The show opens up with a with a with the, the not the show the movie opens up with him with a video of him on YouTube making pretty interesting but fairly basic beats on his MacBook Pro on but you see it as if you were looking at a YouTube page. So I took notes for this because I thought it would be good to like, hey, start taking notes on shit. And I have this note that just says, Kai is depressed, but on YouTube. And that's really how it feels. It feel if him putting his like music production on YouTube is less about him thinking that he has something there and more about him being like, well, this is this is the point of this. This is like this is what you do with this. It feels very much the way a lot of people. It be, the way it feels to watch a lot of people do stuff on TikTok, honestly. But, um, so he's making these beats on YouTube, and his. Best his two best friends Yuho, who clearly has a like real thing for Kai, like she wants to portray him in the most positive light all the time anyway, and like Yukito is there, but Yuho is like, Hey Kai, what you doing? What you doing, bud? Hey, you wanna hang out? <laughs> and you feel bad for Yukito because Yukito is very clearly like I feel like I'm getting his name wrong, but um, Yukito is very clearly like he's into Yuho. Like he's always been really good friends with Kai, but he's into really into any female his age or otherwise. But like Yuho is there, and for this entire show, Yuho is like shown as as like showing up to events, like dressed. Like she is dressing for people to see her, which I find, which they make, which they make really clear, which I find really interesting because it, it, it's not that that's not a thing that lots of animators do and like put into um, their films and shows, but in this case, like it really feels like. Yuho is like she's in an she's in a like you can tell when a day passes because she's in a different outfit and like she has all these like flirty cute outfits that like she's very clear and it feels clear to me that she's wearing them and she's like Kai pay attention to me <laughs> um so that you have that kind of like triangle late middle school friend dynamic thing happening for this entire movie. Um, and then you see them walking to school and they're walking through this port town. And when I say port town, I mean 
like a real port town. This town's like livelihood is two things. It's it was tourism, but now it's fishing and like it it but now it's fishing, basically. At, at one point, the, mo the movie tells you pretty early on that, like, hey, we had this cool island theme park here, and tourists used to come and hang out at this theme park, but then it went bust. We don't know why, but there's all these legends about mermaids, and you don't come out here and fit, and we don't fish the waters around the theme park because there's so many sunken ships because the mermaids have been fucking with people. For that long. And. The wall. The quote unquote wall. That they have in this movie. It's basically this massive cliff. Because they live in like. Um, I forget what, what they call it. But like. The, and I, I really. I wish I knew the like. Geographic formation. But. Um, it, basically it's like a giant grotto. I think that's the actual name of it. Like, they, they live on the coast of, they, they live on, like, in, like, a port town. But then around the port is this big fucking cliff of, like, sheer rock. And that, what that functionally does for the movie is it lets, A, the animators play with light. B, it gives you this, like... Feeling that Kai, that especially Kai is always in the shadow of something, and when you see Kai's uh, Kai's house, which I think is kind of cool because he lived in a like how in like a house with a boat dock under it. If you've ever seen um, Black Lagoon, they're like base of operations with the. Um, boat dock that the torpedo ship, the lagoon, the, the, the torpedo ship sits in. Like, the, he lived in that kind of house, in that kind of situation. But, um, and I've always found those cool. So, like, his room is, like, messy as fuck, but he has these huge panel windows, and it's literally, like, his room, panel windows, little tiny strip of, like, an outdoor balcony thing, and then ocean um but the town is surrounded by all these rock by all these like rock like jutting rock like cliff thing so there's all of this shade and kai feels like he's in shadow constantly and then you see the kind of main part of his house and the history of his family is constantly over his head because his grandpa, his grandfather has all the family, um, has all the family, uh, like ancestor pictures up on, up on like a ledge above the room. And he lives with his grandfather and his father. And you don't know what happened to Kai's mother. But what you realize is that Kai's mother wasn't happy, so she stayed in Tokyo, and Kai's father moved with Kai back to live with their gra he, he, Kai's grandfather and Kai's father's father. Um, and he doesn't see his mother anymore. And But the way that they always pitch it is it's slightly ambiguous until they come right out and say it towards the end of the movie he just says you know she's not with us anymore and that gives you the idea that like she dead because and the movie enforces that idea because once again you see all the ancestors over like over over his head whenever he's at home and in kind of the public space not in his like literal trash heap of a room um but so that makes that makes you like understand why he's depressed on some level he lost his mother but pretty close to the end of the movie they tell you no he didn't lose his mother 
Like, it's almost worse. She just doesn't want to live with his, with his father anymore, and he's living with his father. So it's a, it's a separation slash divorce situation, which, like, really fucks kids up all the time. And you, you understand why Kai is so, like, is so in his fucking feelings. Because it, his father and, you know, his mother wasn't happy and stayed in Tokyo to be happy. His father came home and st- became a fisherman and is just, like, doing an adult life thing, not following his dream. And Yuho and um, Yukito, I think that's his name. Damn it, I don't know. I'm not sure. He's, like, the one character I didn't write down. But they have formed this band. And it's, like, a kind of crappy high school band. But... So they go, they go to, so they convince, they're like, Kai, you need, your beats are so great. They're just trying to cheer him up. (laughs) Honestly, they're really just trying to cheer him up. Like, Kai, your beats are so great. Let's go to the old amusement park and practice on the, in the outdoor, like, amphitheater arena. And he, like, reluctantly agrees. They go over there. And when... So they start playing, and his beats start playing, and then you hear like a... I wrote down that the first time you hear Lou sing, it, it sounds like a Splatoon sound effect. And so, actually, on that note, this movie clearly has... This movie demonstrates that, like, it is not an insular thing outside of pop culture. Does that make any sense? Because, like I said, I, it's a split. There, there's a Splatoon like. It felt like a Splatoon reference when you hear Lou sing from like under the water in the distance the first time. Um, but this whole this this movie has. A very real feeling of connection to the world outside of it, if that makes any sense. Like, it, it feels, it feels, it feels like it exists in a reality. In, in like, a, a version of our reality. Like, we were alive when this happened. And I say, and I say that because in... In his other two movies, um, in his other two movies, and even his show, um, Keep Your Hands Off Isaacan, he creates these worlds that feel outside, and also, I should also mention, um, this is true of Devilman as well. Um, he, these worlds, and Devilman is less his doing and more Go Nagai's doing, but in Yulasa's show's the world seems of the show seems insular and separate from the world we know. If that makes any sense, um, this is also true to Tommy Galaxy. It's like a, it's like it's a separate thing. It's not concerned with fitting into reality. This movie, Lou Over the Wall, fits really cleanly into reality. It says Tokyo exists. You can go there. By the end of the movie, um, Yuho is applying to college there. Um, it says, you know, it has really, it, it says, like, you know, no, Kai, you shouldn't be in a band. You should, like, just study as hard as you can, get a good job, and have a good life. Like, it, it is very connected to reality in a way that is not altogether common for. Misaki Yuasa stuff. And the reason why that's important is because it gives... It gives Kai's struggle um, more weight than, like, um, the male protagonist of... um, Walk On Girl, because 
you feel like he's existing in the real world and he's struggling with the real world and he's trying to push back against all the adults in his life telling telling him, like, your dreams mean shit, go get a real job. And all of the adults in his life are like, no, your dreams are shit, go get a real job. And it gives it, it, it makes his depression feel... Um, it, it, it gives you the viewer, it gives you the viewer the ability to, like, feel that his depression is valid because he doesn't live in some wacky dreamscape at all. Um, and, and the stuff that happens to him outside of the, like, magical moments where he meets Lou or is with Lou feel real and feel like uh, this kid keeps getting shit on on one on some level or another so but anyway so he's practicing with his two bandmates they hear Lou and then at some point they're leaving the they're leaving the cove the cove is the name of the like outcropping thing I'm a moron they're leaving the cove that the theme park the abandoned theme park is in which, by the way, is much like in Spirited Away, a definite reference to the like night to the late night to the like crash of the Japanese economy in the late nineties, and there are just abandoned theme parks in Japan, more than a handful of them, from what I understand, and they are strange because at some point. Japan was like, what if we build a lot of theme parks? And, like, something to the order of more than half of them just failed at some point. But anyway, so they're leaving and they see, um, they see poachers out in the waters. And it, you're not supposed to fish around there, A, because it's dangerous. B, because, like, basically the city council has designated a protected zone because posterity or whatever. And they, the poachers pick, pick on him, and Lou intervenes with the first, with the first, um, incident of the form of, like, magic that's in this movie. Which is basically, and I, as someone who has more than a passing, like experience with animation, I I see this and I see like they came up with a really simple way to demonstrate it and a really simple concept, and they just expanded on it in a way that makes it feel larger than life and great. And it like it the most fun parts of the movie are when merfolk Lou and the others at the end of the movie are using basically water like water bending but the, the water doesn't come up in like splashes it comes up in like extruded 3D boxes so like Lou lifts these asshole poachers up in like this like and this like Went long rectangle, just whoop, and then disappears, and they fall into the water. But also, but before that happens, Kai loses his cell phone, which is in a bag, and it like floats away. And he gets home, and he's kind of depressed. And then he's doing what he does absentmindedly when he's depressed, which I certainly relate to. Is he start to start coming up with beats on his computer, just like a thing to like keep his brain from going off the deep end. And he gets a, like, spray of water to the back of the head. He turns around. He sees Lou, a little mermaid girl. And she, like, erupts a big block of water into his room. And, like, this sequence happens where he's trying to hide it from his dad because his dad... His dad who's like a study Nazi and his grandfather who is 
very against merfolk because he swore he saw one when he was a kid and it took his mother from him. And what, so that in that sequence you learn that like, Lou, like music allows Lou to, allows Lou's mermaid fin to like, Deweb and split into legs so she can like dance and have fun and all this stuff but one of the things that the movie does really 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 well is it builds on the mythology that they tell you as just kind of like little tidbits here and there so oh, it's not just Lou that responds to music it's all merfolk but lose the point where they are like, hey, this is how merfolk respond to music. They dance. Um, Lou in particular because she really likes music. And her and Kai become friends. This is the like start of Kai coming out of depression. Like he's still it's still in fits and starts. And then he's like all of a sudden like super happy and drops off. Super happy and drops off. And this movie is about this movie and the is about like stepping out of the shadow of bad depression and you know the fact that like people can help you with that and they can push you in the right direction but you need to step out of that shadow yourself and so one of the plot points is that Lou doesn't is that Merfolk don't like the sunlight, and you find out later from um, Yukito's grand grandfather, who's like the who's like the town priest, that there's a whole big myth and curse about the about like what happens when you fuck with the Merfolk, and that does ultimately come to pass. But what happens is, by the end of the movie, uh, there's a few bad actors who end up being morons because they think that Yuho is kidnapped by merfolk. And there's all these reasons to believe that, like, merfolk have been kidnapping people for years. But what you find out at some point, in, like, the second third of the movie, there's a... Sequence where Lou wants to hang out with Kai, but it's late at night because Lou can't Lou can't be out in daylight, so she shows up at night all the time. And she wants to hang out with Kai, and Kai kind of gives in. He's like, "Okay, I'll like hang out with you until the morning." And they encounter a a um, animal shelter with um, lost and unwanted dogs. And, and he explains it to Lou, and Lou's like, oh, okay, nobody wants them. She, like, creates a water, a water, like, another, like, water tower and, like, throws it in, explodes the thing out, gets all these dogs, like, in this block of, in this cube of floating water. And then she, like, jumps into the cube, and she bites all of them and turns them all into mer dogs. And that sets up that the story that you've been here that the show has been telling that the movie has been telling you about merfolk being e eating humans isn't actually true. They bite humans and turn them into merf other merfolk people, mermaids and mermen, and mer dogs in this case. But what so like the murdogs are like like all swim off and there's one murdog who like hangs out and is like a like lose like dog buddy and Lou and Kai's dog buddy murdog buddy and that's kind of the last you see of them for a while like that's the last time they matter for a while and everything kind of going okay you know Yukito and Yuho are like really love Lou and they're and they're all hanging out and they get the chance to perform at the like town at the town celebration 
where it's to honor the people lost to the merfolk, basically. Or who they think are lost to the merfolk, because this has been happening for generations. And it kind of gets fucked up, but it turns into this big rocket party where, like, Lou's dancing on an, under an umbrella and, like, all this stuff, but the music stops for, like, a key point and her feet snap back into a flipper. And they're like, oh, shit, mermaid. And then it happens again, and they're like, oh, shit, mermaid. Get it. And they, so they get Lou to escape. And, but see, the odd thing that happens is they, basically, Kai, Yuho, and Yukito all end up in front of the town council, the leader of which is you, you find out is Yuho's father, which is an important plot point. And they're like, okay, where's the mermaid girl? Like, and, and they're interested in killing this girl or like capturing her or anything. They want her to be like the spokesperson for the relaunch of Mermaid Land, which is the defunct theme park on, in, in the, um, in, in the, uh, what's it called? I had the name. It, that they practiced on. And Kai's really against it because it, he's worried about Lou, but also he doesn't he doesn't want to leave the shadow of depression himself just yet. But it's like because as someone who's been deeply depressed, trust me, I think all of us can can identify with this at this point. Thank you, COVID nineteen. There's a there's a comfort to depression. There's a... This is terrible, but at least I know what this is to depression. Happiness is like a... It's a beautiful, unpredictable thing. But at least when you're depressed, it feels in the moment like... Okay, I I can handle this. Like, this is all I can really handle right now. Moreover, I don't deserve anything more than this. I'm fine. I'm fine with not being fine, basically, is what I would say. But, of course, Kai, um, Yukito, and Yuho push him to... Um, push him to... get Lou to, like, perform, and Lou shows up, and she wants to perform herself, and they, and so they end up performing at this thing. It turns into, like, a more than mild-mannered disaster, and I think at the same time, Lou's father shows up, and Lou's father is this shark businessman who's, like, one story tall and like two car lanes wide and he's this like shark businessman and like the first thing he does is he sh the dock he shows up at is where the fishermen are like fucking like trying to like get the day's catch all organized and he just like moves them out of the way takes a fish tastes it like huh, that one's okay and he helps them he helps these random fishermen just like, deal with the day's catch to make it, like, more, a better quality catch. And they're like, okay, we're into this. And they just walked off looking for Kai. And then he finds Kai and everything's kind of okay. And he just, he's just, he's like, he's this, like, weird chess piece they add into the movie. Seemingly just as, like, a comedic moment. Because... The thing I want to underscore with this movie is, it's not that it's a kid's movie, but it's definitely a movie that, like, a kid could watch and, like, have a lot of fun with. This is a really fun movie, and it makes real... The points it makes, it makes them simplistic enough where 
a little kid could get them, or but an adult can still be like, yeah, okay. And like an adult viewer could read farther into it. Um, but over time, because the thing with Lou went south, odd things start to happen, if that makes any sense. First thing is, is that the Murdoch's are like depressed and hungry, and they find the big cylindrical fishnets that they catch fish in for the port town. Which, by the way, I noticed in the beginning of the movie that this depiction of like a port town feels real. It feels right. Like it, it doesn't. I mentioned before that Yuasa has a tendency to over-engineer the, rea the like background reality of a show. That I, I, this is true of Isaacen, and oftentimes he uses it as a way to tell his story and a way to add layers to the stories that him and his team are telling. But here, the like stark detail of reality or, like, stark detail in the Yuasa kind of super flat style of reality lets you... latches you onto the, like, the town and the movie itself better because the last third of the movie is total, like, merfolk everywhere, water-bending water madness. But because it has that real... Because it has that real ground, like, base grounding it, when they introduce Big Papa Shark Dad, it's not like you're like, oh, okay, it's like he's, yeah, <laughs> Big Papa Shark Dad is fucking inspired. Um, but, so, the Murdogs, the first kind of, like, odd thing that happens is the Murdogs show like get hungry eat all of the, like eat all of the fish to the bone like the fish are still alive but they're too, they're like bony fish like heads and tails no meat on them um in all the fish in all the fish net traps that the fishermen set out so it, what this set what this seems to imply to some to not necessarily always to a younger viewer, though I would never give, I would never not give younger viewer, cr viewers credit in watching something and not picking up on something like this. But what they set up in that, like, couple scene sequence is humans tried to take advantage of nature for their own gain. They pushed it too far. And as a result, nature, like, lashed back out. And there's, like... Th that sequence in the movie, like, that couple, those couple scenes in the movie in those orders feel like the equivalent of, like, under deep water drilling equals oil spill, if that makes any sense. Like, they fucked with the merfolk and got everything all out of whack so now the merfolk the like murdogs are eating the fish that they that are that is this town's livelihood and from there yuho runs away because basically kai is like he he like retreats back to being he retreats all the way back in his feelings because he sees how um, nightmarish they treat, nightmarishly they treat um, Lou. Because, the, so I have a note here. Let me see if I can find it. It just says, hyper-capitalism is going to kill someone. And once, they, once Lou agrees to be like a performer at this thing's grand opening, I, they kick it into like full gear and you see these, this, like, quick panning shot of, like, a souvenir stand. And all this stuff with Lou... 
Like, it's like a stuffed animal version of Lou. It's like stuff with her face on it. They're using her as like the Mickey Mouse of this, like, revived, of this, like, rehab theme park. And it just, it feels distinctly like, it feels feel distinctly first, like, the kids generally want to do it, with the exception of Kai, because Kai, it's like, he's all the way back in his feelings. And then, but um, Yuho and Yukito say, like, yeah, we want to do it. So Lou agrees, because she's their friend, too. And Kai's in the audience just to make sure nothing, like, because he can't help himself and he wants to make sure Lou's okay. But during the course of the performance, you see that, you see um, Yuho stop playing guitar, but somebody else dressed like her is still playing the guitar. And she says to Yukito at one point, we're not playing, but our music is. We're being taken advantage of here. And it's the implication there that it's her father doing that because her father is like dead set on this being like successful and reviving uh, and like rehabbing the town's reputation and all this shit. So she ends up basically running away because Kai is being a dickbag to her. Her father took advantage of her and took advantage of her and her friend and Lou. And as a result, her father, who, like, prizes her as this, like, object of his, like, achievement and, like, beauty, is like, the merfolk ain't my daughter, let's go get him. They capture Lou, and this is getting into, like, the end of the movie, but they capture Lou, and in, like, the second half of the movie, the... You hear Yukito's grandfather, the priestess guy, tell this tell this story about the curse of the of the shadow stone or whatever it's called. I think it's called the shadow stone, and it's that a mermaid was convicted of was people people in the village at one point were con, were convinced that a mermaid ate someone, that a, 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 that the merfolk ate somebody. So they captured a mermaid, and they basically nailed her to this fucking rock and let her bake in the sun because they do not like, they do not like direct sunlight. And this big black evil monster came out of the ocean, came and got the mermaid and just wrecked the town in the process and they went back in the ocean. And the curse was like, and put a curse on the town that if they ever did it again, if they ever harmed a mermaid or merman or murdog or whatever, the town would basically be drowned. And so Yuho, running away from home and vanishing, triggers them capturing Lou and then threatening Lou with fucking heat lamps and it turns out Big Boy Shark Daddy is also the like monster of legend and he goes for his daughter and this like all these actions eventually spur Kai into like grabbing his grandfather's old ukulele and like playing it and trying his best to you know, help help Lou and save her, but also save their like sleepy port town, and it turns it ultimately turns into the Murfo all the Murfolk from the ocean show up to like save the town. And what you learn is what you suspected at the point at which you realized like, oh, Murfolk bite people to turn them into mermaids. Is that all these people? This old woman who lost her who lost her husband and Kai's grandfather who lost his mother. They weren't lost because they were eaten. They were lost because they were 
genuinely like drowning or in trouble underwater and merfolk bit them to save them so at, earlier in the movie like maybe the second third of the, the beginning of the first third of the last third of the movie kai's grandfather tells this has this flashback scene it's very like cut paper esque where you see his recollection of his mother being eaten by a mer- being like eaten by a mer- mermaid and at the very end of the movie and this made me cry because it was really it was like really a sweet moment he sees her as a mer- as a mermaid and he realizes that his memory was warped because of trauma and she was pinned under their fishing boat a mermaid came and bit her to save her so she could continue to breathe so she could breathe in water and then she's thinking like oh i'm saved somehow gets unpinned and goes back on the boat and the sunlight starts to burn her up and she freaks out and dives in the water because she's like oh fuck and they finally meet at the end of the movie, and it's this like really heartwarming scene. The um, old lady who fucking hates mermaids, merfolk, meets her long lost husband as a merfolk, as a merman, and he's like, I, I'm fine. I'm a merman. You know what? Here, and he just bites the shit out of her, and she becomes a merman. And she's like, Oh fuck, I'm a mermaid. Okay. And it's just, it's, the whole thing ends in this heartwarming crescendo that is also accompanied by the, like, awesome music of this, of this, like, whole, of this whole movie. Because the thing about this movie is, more than the other Misaki Yuasa movies or properties, this is about, this has a core element of music. And it has a core understanding of not just music, but popular music. And music is a plot device in this film. So what... But at the end, Lou and all the other merfolk basically, like, boop, vanish. After this big raucous party... Kai looks away for one second and they're all gone. And but Kai's okay because Kai, because what has happened by the end of this movie, it's a big rock outcropping that shaded the entire port town has now been destroyed. And the whole town is this like sunny, beautiful new place. And that's used as a metaphor for Kai having come out of his like deep feelings of depression and being able to move on through the world knowing that it is what it is and he just has to be the best person he can be in it and he goes to his dad and he says like this is what I want to do this is why I want to do and his dad his dad also having learned a lesson everybody in this port town having learned this lesson um cohesively is like yeah Go for it, kid. And then you see Lou just kind of like do a swan, do like a dolphin dive up and out, up and out of the water and back in for a couple seconds off in the distance. And you're like, oh, she's still there. And it, it just as a as a anime movie, it's a really really fun time it's a lot it's just a lot of fun to watch and it's got a great like odd but great soundtrack um as a misaka you as a misaki yuasa movie it is surprisingly well grounded and surprise it it deals with it's the least it feels the least experimental of all the movies I've seen of his. His shows 
are different because his shows are either super experimental or super not. Um, Isaacin is experimental on like the visual level, but not in the like. It, it doesn't feel odd that it's being made. It feels fun that it's being made, but it's not like it's not like something like Tatami Galaxy, which is a thing that is experimenting with time, storytelling, um, perspective, all that stuff. Um, and his other movies feel much less about feel much less tethered to. A common reality and more tethered to their own reality than Lou Over the Wall does. So, if I mean, if you've never seen it, it's on Netflix right now. That's how I watched it today, um, or at the time of this recording. And it's totally worth a watch. It, I mean, like, what else are you doing? You're sitting in your fucking house. You're sitting, sitting in your fucking house and you listen to me. Go watch Lou Over the Wall. It, it's well worth it. And on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this podcast, um, then give it a five-star review on iTunes. That helps the show a lot. Also, you can tell your friends about it. You can subscribe to this show on any podcast app of choice. Um, I And I will talk to you on Sunday. Tomorrow, I'll be